Section 52 of Book 15, in which the history advances about two days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sheila Morton in Jefferson City, Tennessee. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Chapter 1. Too Short to Need a Preface. There are a set of religious, or rather moral, writers who teach that virtue is the certain road to happiness and vice to misery in this world. A very wholesome and comfortable doctrine, and to which we have but one objection, namely, that it is not true. Indeed, if by virtue these writers mean the exercise of those cardinal virtues which, like good housewives, stay at home, and mind only the business of their own family, I shall very readily concede the point. For so surely do all these contribute and lead to happiness that I could almost wish, in violation of all the ancient and modern sages, to call them rather by the name of wisdom than by that of virtue. For, with regard to this life, no system I conceive was ever wiser than that of the ancient Epicureans, who held this wisdom to constitute the chief good, nor foolisher than that of their opposites, those modern Epicures, who place all felicity in the abundant gratification of every sensual appetite. But if, by virtue, is meant, as I almost think it ought, a certain relative quality which is always busying itself without doors, and seems as much interested in pursuing the good of others as its own, I cannot so easily agree that this is the surest way to human happiness, because I am afraid we must then include poverty and contempt with all the mischiefs which backbiting, envy, and ingratitude can bring on mankind in our idea of happiness." nay sometimes perhaps we shall be obliged to wait upon the said happiness to a jail since many by the above virtue have brought themselves thither i have not now leisure to enter upon so large a field of speculation as here seems opening upon me my design was to wipe off a doctrine that lay in my way since while mr jones was acting the most virtuous part imaginable in labouring to preserve his fellow-creatures from destruction the devil or some other evil spirit one perhaps clothed in human flesh was hard at work to make him completely miserable in the ruin of his sophia this therefore would seem an exception to the above rule if indeed it was a rule but as we have in our voyage through life seen so many other exceptions to it we choose to dispute the doctrine on which it is founded which we don't apprehend to be christian which we are convinced is not true and which is indeed destructive of one of the noblest arguments that reason alone can furnish for the belief of immortality but as the reader's curiosity if he hath any must be now awake and hungry we shall provide to feed it as fast as we can chapter two in which is opened a very black design against Sophia. I remember a wise old gentleman who used to say, When children are doing nothing, they are doing mischief. I will not enlarge this quaint saying to the most beautiful part of the creation in general, but so far I may be allowed that when the effects of female jealousy do not appear openly in their proper colours of rage and fury, we may suspect that mischievous passion to be at work privately, and attempting to undermine what it doth not attack above ground. This was exemplified in the conduct of Lady Bellaston, who, under all the smiles which she wore in her countenance, concealed much indignation against Sophia, and as she plainly saw that this young lady stood between her and the full indulgence of her desires, she resolved to get rid of her by some means or other 
nor was it long before a very favorable opportunity of accomplishing this presented itself to her. The reader may be pleased to remember that when Sophia was thrown into that consternation at the playhouse by the wit and humor of a set of young gentlemen who called themselves the town, we informed him that she had put herself under the protection of a young nobleman who had very safely conducted her to her chair. This nobleman, who frequently visited Lady Bellaston, had more than once seen Sophia there, since her arrival in town, and had conceived a very great liking to her, which liking, as beauty never looks more amiable than in distress, Sophia had in this fright so increased that he might now, without any great impropriety, be said to be actually in love with her. It may easily be believed that he would not suffer so handsome an occasion of improving his acquaintance with the beloved object as now offered itself to elapse, when even good breeding alone might have prompted him to pay her a visit. The next morning, therefore, after this accident, he waited on Sophia with the usual compliments, and hopes that she had received no harm from her last night's adventure. As love, like fire, when once thoroughly kindled, is soon blown into a flame, Sophia in a very short time completed her conquest. Time now flew away unperceived, and the noble lord had been two hours in company with the lady before it entered into his head that he had made too long a visit. Though this circumstance alone would have alarmed Sophia, who was somewhat more a mistress of computation at present, she had indeed much more pregnant evidence from the eyes of her lover of what passed within his bosom. Nay, though he did not make any open declaration of his passion, yet many of his expressions were rather too warm and too tender to have been imputed to complacence, even in the age when such complacence was in fashion, the very reverse of which is well known to be the reigning mode at present. Lady Bellaston had been apprised of his lordship's visit at his first arrival, and the length of it very well satisfied her, that things went as she wished, and as indeed she had suspected the second time she saw this young couple together. This business, she rightly, I think, concluded, that she should by no means forward by mixing in the company while they were together. She therefore ordered her servants that when my lord was going they should tell him she desired to speak with him, and employed the intermediate time in meditating how best to accomplish a scheme which she made no doubt but his lordship would very readily embrace the execution of. Lord Philimore, for that was the title of this young nobleman, was no sooner introduced to her ladyship than she attacked him in the following strain. "'Bless me, my lord, are you here yet? I thought my servants had made a mistake and let you go away, and I wanted to see you about an affair of some importance.' "'Indeed, Lady Belliston,' said he, "'I don't wonder you are astonished at the length of my visit, for I have stayed above two hours, and I did not think I had stayed above half a one.' "'What am I to conclude from thence, my lord?' said she. "'The company must be very agreeable which can make time slide away so very deceitfully.' "'Upon my honour, said he, "'the most agreeable I ever saw. "'Pray tell me, Lady Belliston, "'who is this blazing star "'which you have produced among us all of a sudden?' "'What blazing star, my lord?' said she, "'affecting a surprise. "'I mean,' said he, "'the lady I saw here the other day "'whom I had last night in my arms at the playhouse, "'and to whom I have been making that unreasonable visit.' "'Oh, my cousin Western,' said she, "'why, that blazing star, my lord, "'is the daughter of a country booby squire, "'and hath been in town above a fortnight for the first time.' 
"'Upon my soul,' said he, "'I should swear she had been bred up in a court, "'for besides her beauty I never saw anything so genteel, "'so sensible, so polite.' "'Oh, brave!' cries the lady. "'My cousin hath you, I find.' "'Upon my honour, answered he, "'I wish she had, for I am in love with her to distraction.' "'Nay, my lord,' said she, "'it is not wishing yourself very ill, neither, "'for she is a very great fortune. "'I assure you she is an only child, "'and her father's estate is a good three thousand pound a year.' "'Then I can assure you, madam,' answered the lord, "'I think her the best match in England.' "'Indeed, my lord,' replied she, "'if you like her, I heartily wish you had her.' "'If you think so kindly of me, madam,' said he, "'as she is a relation of yours, will you do me the honour to propose it to her father?' "'And are you really then in earnest?' cries the lady, with an affected gravity. "'I hope, madam,' answered he, "'you have a better opinion of me than to imagine I would jest with your ladyship in an affair of this kind.' "'Indeed, then,' said the lady, "'I will most readily propose your lordship to her father.' and i can i believe assure you of his joyful acceptance of the proposal but there is a bar which i am almost ashamed to mention and yet it is one you will never be able to conquer you have a rival my lord and a rival who though i blush to name him neither you nor all the world will ever be able to conquer upon my word lady belliston cries he you have struck a damp to my heart which hath almost deprived me of being "'Fie, my lord,' said she, "'I should rather hope I had struck fire into you, "'a lover, and talk of damps in your heart. "'I rather imagined you would have asked your rival's name, "'that you might have immediately entered the lists with him.' "'I promise you, madam,' answered he, "'there are very few things I would not undertake for your charming cousin. "'But pray, who is this happy man?' "'Why, he is,' said she, "'what I am sorry to say most happy men with us are, "'one of the lowest fellows in the world. "'He is a beggar, a bastard, a foundling, "'a fellow in meaner circumstances "'than one of your lordship's footmen.' "'And is it possible,' cried he, "'that a young creature with such perfections "'could think of bestowing herself so unworthily?' "'Alas, my lord,' answered she, "'consider the country. "'The bane of all young women is the country. "'There they learn a set of romantic notions of love, "'and I know not what folly, "'which this town and good company "'can scarce eradicate in a whole winter.' "'Indeed, madam,' replied my lord, "'your cousin is of too immense a value to be thrown away. "'Such ruin as this must be prevented.' "'Alas!' cries she, my lord, how can it be prevented? The family have already done all in their power, but the girl is, I think, intoxicated, and nothing less than ruin will content her. And to deal more openly with you, I expect every day to hear she has run away with him. What you tell me, Lady Belliston, answered his lordship, affects me most tenderly, and only raises my compassion instead of lessening my adoration of your cousin." some means must be found to preserve so inestimable a jewel hath your ladyship endeavoured to reason with her here the lady affected a laugh and cried <laughs> my dear lord sure you know us better than to talk of reasoning a young woman out of her inclinations these inestimable jewels are as deaf as the jewels they wear 
Time, my lord, time is the only medicine to cure their folly. But this is a medicine which I am certain she will not take. Nay, I live in hourly horrors on her account. In short, nothing but violent methods will do. What is to be done? cries my lord. What methods are to be taken? Is there any method upon earth? Oh, Lady Belliston, there is nothing which I would not undertake for such a reward. I really know not, answered the lady after a pause. And then, pausing again, she cried out, Upon my soul, I am at my wit's end on this girl's account. If she can be preserved, something must be done immediately, and, as I say, nothing but violent methods will do. If your lordship hath really this attachment to my cousin, and to do her justice, except in this silly inclination of which she will soon see her folly, she is every way deserving. I think there may be one way, indeed. It is a very disagreeable one, and, and what I am almost afraid to think of. It requires a great spirit, I promise you. I am not conscious, madam, said he, of any defect there, nor am I, I hope, suspected of any such. It must be an egregious defect indeed which would make me backward on this occasion. Nay, my lord, answered she, I am so far from doubting you, I am much more inclined to doubt my own courage, for I must run a monstrous risk. In short, I must place such a confidence in your honour as a wise woman will scarce ever place in a man on any consideration. In this point, likewise, my lord very well satisfied her, for his reputation was extremely clear, and common fame did him no more than justice in speaking well of him. Well, then, said she, my lord, I, I vow I can't bear the apprehension of it. No, it must not be. At least every other method shall be tried. Can you get rid of your engagements and dine here to-day? Your lordship will have an opportunity of seeing a little more of Miss Western. I promise you, we have no time to lose. Here will be nobody but Lady Betty and Miss Eagle and Colonel Hampstead and Tom Edwards. They will all go soon, and I shall be at home to nobody. Then your lordship may be a little more explicit. Nay, I will contrive some method to convince you of her attachment to this fellow. My lord made proper compliments, accepted the invitation, and then they parted to dress, it being now past three in the morning, or to reckon by the old style, in the afternoon. CHAPTER Three: A FURTHER EXPLANATION OF THE FOREGOING DESIGN Though the reader may have long since concluded Lady Belliston to be a member, and no inconsiderable one, of the great world, she was in reality a very considerable member of the little world, by which appellation was distinguished a very worthy and honourable society which not long since flourished in this kingdom. Among other good principles upon which this society was founded, there was one very remarkable, for, as it was a rule of an honourable club of heroes who assembled at the close of the late war, that all the members should every day fight, once at least, so twas in this that every member should, within the twenty-four hours, tell at least one merry fib, which was to be propagated by all the brethren and sisterhood. Many idle stories were told about this society, which, from a certain quality, may be perhaps not unjustly, supposed to have come from the society themselves. As that the devil was the president, and that he sat in person in an elbow-chair at the upper end of a table. But upon very strict inquiry I find there is not the least truth in any of those tells, and that the assembly consisted in reality of a set of very good sort of people, and the fibs which they propagated were of a harmless kind, intended only to produce mirth and good humour. 
Edwards was likewise a member of this comical society. To him, therefore, Lady Bellaston applied as a proper instrument for her purpose, and furnished him with a fib which he was to vent whenever the lady gave him her cue, and this was not to be till the evening when all the company but Lord Fellamar and himself were gone, and while they were engaged in a rubber at whist. To this time, then, which was between seven and eight in the evening, we will convey our reader, when Lady Bellaston, Lord Fellamar, Miss Western, and Tom, being engaged at whist and in the last game of their rubbers, Tom received his cue from Lady Bellaston, which was, I protest, Tom, you are grown intolerable lately. You used to tell us all the news of the town, and now you know no more of the world than if you lived out of it. Mr. Edwards then began as follows. The fault is not mine, madam. It lies in the dullness of the age, that doth nothing worth talking of. Oh, la! Though now I think on it, there hath a terrible accident befallen poor Colonel Wilcox. Poor Ned! You know him, my lord. Everybody knows him. Faith, I am very much concerned for him. What is it, pray? says Lady Bellaston. Why, he hath killed a man this morning in a duel, that's all. His lordship, who was not in the secret, asked gravely whom he had killed, to which Edwards answered, "'A young fellow we none of us know, a Somersetshire lad, just come to town, one Jones, his name is, a near relation of one Mr. Allworthy, of whom your lordship, I believe, hath heard. I saw the lad lie dead in a coffee-house. Upon my soul, he is one of the finest corpses I ever saw in my life.' Sophia, who had just begun to deal, as Tom had mentioned that a man was killed, stopped her hand and listened with attention, for all stories of that kind affected her, but no sooner had he arrived at the latter part of the story than she began to deal again, and having dealt three cards to one and seven to another and ten to a third, at last dropped the rest from her hand and fell back in her chair. The company behaved as usually on these occasions. The usual disturbance ensued, the usual assistance was summoned, and Sophia at last, as it is usual, returned again to life, and was soon after, at her earnest desire, led to her own apartment, where, at my lord's request, Lady Bellaston acquainted her with the truth, attempted to carry it off as a jest of her own, and comforted her with repeated assurances that neither his lordship nor Tom, though she had taught him the story, were in the true secret of the affair. There was no further evidence necessary to convince Lord Fellamar how justly the case had been represented to him by Lady Bellaston, and now, at her return into the room, a scheme was laid between these two noble persons, which, though it appeared in no very heinous light to his lordship, as he faithfully promised and faithfully resolved, too, to make the lady all the subsequent amends in his power by marriage, yet many of our readers, we doubt not, will see with just detestation." The next evening at seven was appointed for the fatal purpose, when Lady Bellaston undertook that Sophia should be alone, and his lordship should be introduced to her. The whole family were to be regulated for the purpose, most of the servants dispatched out of the house, and for Mrs. Honour, who, to prevent suspicion, was to be left with her mistress till his lordship's arrival, Lady Bellaston herself was to engage her in an apartment as distant as possible from the scene of the intended mischief, and out of the hearing of Sophia. Matters being thus agreed on, his lordship took his leave, and her ladyship retired to rest, highly pleased with a project of which she had no reason to doubt the success, and which promised so effectually to remove Sophia from being any further obstruction to her amour with Jones, by a means of which she should never appear to be guilty, even if the fact appeared to the world. 
but this she made no doubt of preventing by huddling up a marriage to which she thought the ravished sophia would easily be brought to consent and at which all the rest of her family would rejoice but affairs were not in so quiet a situation in the bosom of the other conspirator his mind was tossed in all the distracting anxiety so nobly described by shakespeare between the acting of a dreadful thing and the first motion all the interim is like a phantasma or a hideous dream the genius and the mortal instruments are then in council and the state of man like to a little kingdom suffers then the nature of an insurrection though the violence of his passion had made him eagerly embrace the first hint of this design especially as it came from a relation of the lady yet when that friend to reflection a pillow had placed the action itself in all its natural black colours before his eyes with all the consequences which must and those which might probably attend it his resolution began to abate or rather indeed to go over to the other side and after a long conflict which lasted a whole night between honour and appetite the former at length prevailed and he determined to wait on lady bellaston and to relinquish the design lady bellaston was in bed though very late in the morning and sophia sitting by her bedside when the servant acquainted her that lord fellamar was below in the parlour upon which her ladyship desired him to stay and that she would see him presently but the servant was no sooner departed than poor sophia began to entreat her cousin not to encourage the visits of that odious lord so she called him though a little unjustly upon her account i see his design said she for he made downright love to me yesterday morning but as i am resolved never to admit it i beg your ladyship not to leave us alone together any more and to order the servants that if he inquires for me i may be always denied to him la child says lady bellaston you country girls have nothing but sweethearts in your head you fancy every man who is civil to you is making love he is one of the most gallant young fellows about town and i am convinced means no more than a little gallantry make love to you indeed i wish with all my heart he would and you must be an errant madwoman to refuse him as i shall certainly be that mad woman cries sophia i hope his visits shall not be intruded upon me oh child said lady bellaston you need not be so fearful if he resolve to run away with that jones i know no person who can hinder you upon my honour madam cries sophia your ladyship injures me i will never run away with any man nor will i ever marry contrary to my father's inclinations well miss western said the lady if you are not in a humour to see company this morning you may retire to your own apartment for i am not frightened at his lordship and must send for him up into my dressing-room sophia thanked her ladyship and withdrew and presently afterwards fellamar was admitted upstairs End of section fifty two